I'm Marina LaVrosia. And I'm Monica Birch. And this is Summer Reading List. Where we take a look at your favorite, or least favorite, required reading books. And so today we're going to be talking about Mary Shelley's spooky classic, Frankenstein. All right. So I think we're going to go ahead and start off with like our past experiences of Frankenstein. Yes. And if we, have to, if we had to read it in school in the past or not. Um, so and did you? I didn't, so I think maybe I'll go ahead and share my experience okay. first. It'll be a lot shorter. Uh, so, like, I never had to read it in school. It was never required reading for me. Um, so my, like, knowledge of Frankenstein is purely based off of, like, pop culture, like the universal monster. And, and me talking your ear off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the only thing that I know is, like, you know, the green monster, iconic everything we have here so a green tablecloth or green eyeshadow <laughs> we're very green the listeners cannot see but. but just be assured that we're very green yeah although that might be problematic as we will point out later in the episode you'll have to watch to find out so, i on the other hand sorry to interrupt you there <laughs> but i on the other hand i sound so stupid i did read frankenstein in high school um it was like junior year of high school and i had a teacher who was really into it and the class was super hard. I feel out of breath because I had to, like, jump on the couch. It's okay. In case anyone's wondering. Um, but, no, we had to, like, read it. And we had these vocab quizzes. And, like, you read the book. It has intense vocab. That yeah, for an 11th grader, for sure. You're, like, what, for 16, 17 years old? A 23-year-old now. I was, like, what is this? Mean? Yeah. And I was Googling it. And, even and it's a short words, book, but it it's is. dense. It's dense. Some of the words were even, like, I'm reading off topic, but like ardently, which I might have said wrong, that's in Pride and Prejudice, and I partly want a tattoo of that. And then my mind still goes, okay, but I need to figure out what that means. I know what it means now. I think that's just forever being interested in English, English major for the rest of your life. That's just all you do. But that was her quizzes were like, she would show a picture of like someone with grief, and you had to figure out the vocab word that was related Uh, to like grief. So oh, that's pretty interesting. It was hard, but it was a fun read. So. I was really excited to come back to this book now with a degree and knowing how to analyze other than just like, oh, it's cool, the monster's like nice, <laughs> instead of just like actually picking yeah, up Yeah, like instead of very basic level. Yeah. It's so. to go a little deeper. And you had to do like a project, right? I did. How'd you remember that? Because I forgot about it. You said I that have great I was, memory. <laughs> I literally sat there and I was like... I just remember, I feel like you talked to me a lot about it. So what was the project like that you had to do? I don't remember. I remember like everyone got different projects. So I was jealous because some people got like watch all the movies. And which of Frankenstein there's many iterations yeah, of. Watch them and like write about that. And I was jealous, which I did now, by the way, I watched a bunch of them. And then some people got like, how is it romanticism? Which like, maybe which is, yeah, that's pretty topical to Frankenstein it's at least. extremely topical, which I don't know if that's what we got, but I remember it was like kind of a boring one. But I also didn't do a lot of work on the presentation. As you do as a 16-year-old. Yeah. And I feel like I was in the group with, like, the smart people. So they were like, <laughs> we've got this. And I was like, okay. And you were like, I'll stand by. And, just... and I had, like, stage fright at the time. Right. So when we had to present, I was just like, I'll be back here. <laughs> so, yeah, that's me. And, yeah. Well, okay. So I guess that's our overall past experience. How was it, like, reading the book for you now? Like, what was just your overall takeaway? Like, was it positive, negative? Um, I think it's one of those times where, like, the story wasn't as exciting. I feel like I romanticized the story. <laughs> you romanticized the romanticism. I did. And I <laughs> hate that. And I hate that we're smiling at each other, like, 
Um, that's going to sound really creepy. It's okay. But no, I feel like I did romanticize it. And so the story wasn't as like amazing as I remember. Right. But it was still really good. And I feel like I liked the symbolism more though if that makes sense because i feel like i, I think it's it. easier to appreciate it more once you're a little bit older yes and um, with us with yeah the degrees we got where that's all you right how to do especially as an english major that's all you do is dissect books until they barely make sense anymore <laughs> basically this entire podcast is what we would have to do for an analytical paper right but we're, but we're doing it for fun even though it's not like we would want to do an analytical paper so nobody asked us for that i do like to do them <laughs> All right, you can ask Monica for them, but not me. I'm sad while I do them, but I like them. Um, So, yeah. All right. So, yeah, like I said, I didn't have to read it in school, so reading it now was very interesting. I think overall I liked the novel. Um, Like we said, it was pretty dense, so it was a little hard to actually get Mm -hmm. through, even though it's a very short book, but... It's literally like 166 pages. Yeah, which is pretty short for uh, in novel terms, but... For a book that was written originally in 1818, like yeah, <laughs> it's very dense. But the it's like language set in is like very 1700s, right? Because like all the letters are dated like 17. Mm-hmm. So the language is very challenging. <laughs> yeah, we discussed. We tried not to discuss, by the way, our official opinions on right. things. That way, when we got so here, so we could kind of surprise each other, yeah. see if we have differing opinions. But we did discuss. It felt like. And I mean, I'm not a second language learner, so I actually don't know. But my mind was like, is this what it's like to read a second language that right. you know, but you don't know? And you're just like... And it's even a little bit more frustrating because you do speak English and you're like, yes. what am I reading yes, sometimes? exactly. And you have to kind of go back and dissect. So yeah. I think especially that you read it as a 16-year-old yeah. first is it's probably really interesting to come back and almost get a completely new view. I feel like it helped because I already... Yeah. Or even, like, if you've seen the movies, like, it helped because right. you know the story so you're not confused. I think everybody at least knows the very basics of Frankenstein just because of pop the culture. Very yeah, like but like, barely. Because some of the stuff that I think is really important never ends up in the movies. Right. I agree. Because we'll, discuss, we'll get into but... that there's a lot of misconceptions about Frankenstein. Like All this right. tablecloth. <laughs> yes. This which, green, again, is green in color. This green, green tablecloth. Which we could put a green screen on if we wanted to. But we won't. All right. So I think before we get into, like, the plot and just go through a few important points of the novel, it's important that we speak about Mary Shelley, like, as a person. Yeah. And who she was. I agree. Um, so, because she's a very interesting person. Especially... So what I have written down just in my research and obviously taking British literature classes and having to learn about, you know, writing during like revolutions that were going on in Europe and how that affected Britain since they didn't have like the same thing as like the French Revolution and how they reacted to that. Our bobblehead bobblehead is going. (laughs) (laughs) It's just Marina's having like a serious conversation about British literature and I'm noticing the bobbleheads just like going off. But I think they're both equally important. I think they are. I think because you're on the table, it's like shady. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> okay, so who Mary Shelley was, she's actually a daughter of two very famous writers. So her mother was Mary Wollenstonecraft, and I hope that I'm saying that right. I feel like I say Wollens. Actually, I don't know. You know, I've never said it out loud. Right. So now I'm it's like, that thing where you read it, and then you're like, I know how to say that. But I then you go to actually right. pronounce it, yeah. and you're not sure. But her father was William Goodwin. 
Um, so her mother was most notable for being an early women's right activist. And so mm-hmm. all of her writing was mostly based off of that. Yeah. Like she was an activist early at her core. Early feminism. Yes, exactly. And so what I didn't know is because I'd never studied like her father or anything. Yeah. I just her mother He's in the British literature. In the background. Right. So I didn't know this, but it was very interesting to me that I saw that her father was one of the first like modern proponents of anarchism, which is pretty cool. I feel like she had a lot to live up to. <laughs> yeah, if those did. were her parents. Anarchy and feminism. Right. Which are two great topics that we'll be speaking a little bit about. Not completely. <laughs> and in different books. Right. Too. Exactly. So stay tuned even more. So that is a lot to live up to but i think maybe she even surpassed expectations because she's like the most famous one i feel like she definitely surpassed expectations right frankenstein is like like that's the most notable work between her and her parents who also have had you know many different things argue it's one of the most notable works like Like ever like if you said frankenstein people would be like yeah yeah, yeah." right like i mean she was the inventor of like the horror genre the sci-fi genre the gothic era right exactly when romanticism moved to like gothic and that's like the best era of writing yeah. even though it's so like she essentially invented that she did <laughs> yeah which is now sci-fi like you said i believe yeah exactly I like believe. it's morphed into a different kind of genre um my facts are some of the more weird facts about her were you done yeah yeah i'm good okay. so that's like the introduction to her we do have a few yeah. like fun cool facts about her because she was a pretty metal person i would say she's pretty goth <laughs> and we felt like it was important to talk about her because like you can see it reflected in the you, work yeah if so, you didn't know about her there'd be things in frankenstein you wouldn't understand exactly where like if you read about her and what was great about this copy of the book that we have mm-hmm. this isn't a sponsorship um <laughs> but you can get it for like eight dollars on amazon <laughs> what was good about this version it has like she does an intro like that's the 1818 version right so it's really cool to read her intro um and that's where you're like if you read that before even reading Frankenstein, there's parts of Frankenstein that you would never have picked up on. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the facts that I picked up on is like, well, first of all, as Marina kind of mentioned, her mother was a feminist. And and that was like really revolutionary, especially yes, then. <laughs> that was almost like unheard like, of. All of her writing was about that. So she's kind of, I don't know if she was influenced by that because they did say her mother died at a young age. Right. So she was like, obviously grew up with her dad, mm-hmm. but she does have that same feminine... Um, ideals about her i said that's so weird but like something i have here i think is someone pointed out she did her own thing she followed her own path she didn't listen to anyone else and she financed herself because she was a widow by 24 Mm -hmm. so she was paying for herself through writing and through publishing things like frankenstein so that would be like me that's very as a person right now yes being already widowed and already publishing widowed. my own novels so wouldn't that be nice i'm a little bit behind the widow on part, both aspects but the publishing a novel <laughs> um which would be like unheard of back then right so that's how you know she's a feminist from her mother and i mean it's not how you know there's other stuff you could totally right look up. you can infer from her writing yeah even like this work that we're about to talk and about and even in the intro in the 1818 part like you can just feel she's not like right and so this forward is like after the 1818 version she has edited yeah. now to this oh is that's the right. 1838 the version thank you it's okay but yeah so it's actually Dates. her acknowledging that she's made edits to yeah. this new version which is 1838 yeah, something like that. so <laughs> you got it right <laughs> we're gonna see how that might differ um i did look into that so we'll mention that in a little bit um of how they're different but essentially her forward just says Nothing that I've changed in the novel changes, like, the core of the yeah, novel. Yeah, like, the themes. Right. Um, but some of the interesting things, and some people might know this, but it's a really 
cool fact to learn about Frankenstein is that it the book itself was written because of a contest, which I don't believe you didn't know. Right. Morning, I right? did not know that. So I didn't know that until I read her describing that yeah. and how this came to be is that they had challenged each other to write ghost stories. Yeah. So they were, it was her and her husband, Percy Shelley, who's famous, mm-hmm. but let's be real. Can you name a Percy Shelley thing right, right. off the top of your head? Where Have I'm, you ever even known the name Percy Shelley? Let's be I real. I like <laughs> knew it from sixth or 11th grade when right. I learned, oh, she's married to Percy Shelley. And I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> but she had all the literary people are going to come after us. For I know. One. They're going to be like, you don't know Percy Shelley. <laughs> Um, we do relax. We just can't name it off the top of our head. Right. But anyways, <laughs> so she was summering with Percy Shelley, I believe, and like Lord Byron and a bunch mm-hmm. of other yeah. writers. And I, apparently it was like not good weather or something. So they yeah. spent most of their time inside reading ghost stories. So then they decided, let's do a contest. And according to her forward, she said it took her the longest to come up with a story. Right. That she, everyone else had kind of already yeah. come up with a concept and that she had nothing. Yes. Yeah. And what she had a dream. I thought that was so interesting. Because I feel yeah. like a lot of great things come from dreams. Like, Which makes me really want to keep track of my own dreams. Yeah, and too. like in a better way than like typing on my iPhone notes <laughs> app at like 2 a.m. when I randomly roll over and in then bed. And like a month later you're like, what does that mean? And you just delete it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've definitely done that. No, but that that's what happened. She had a dream, and I actually uh, marked where, so I'll, I'll make a point of this. She marked that the point of her horror story is, what if someone was mocking the work of the creator? So what if someone was playing at God mm-hmm. and succeeded? How horrific that would be, and how immediately they would be terrified. And then what if when they went to sleep that night, hoping it was a dream, they woke up and the monster was staring over them? So that's literally like one chapter in the book. Or like a few sentences and you realize right. that one little Blurred. tiny part yeah. created this classic. Right. So that was pretty cool. And that's her an dream was thing. wasn't her dream that like she saw that, like the monster yeah. kind of standing over well, her. Well that, right. that yeah, whole thing exactly. was her dream is like you shouldn't be playing at God. Mm-hmm. So that's an important part to remember is Mary Shelley openly said right. it's crazy that someone would be playing at God and deciding to create yeah. someone. So So just keep a little that. spoiler for um, <laughs> That's basically how Frankenstein came about, and they loved her ghost story so much that I think her husband and others pushed her to. Yeah, they encouraged write. her to actually continue and make yeah. it into something bigger. And now we have a really awesome novel. Right. I still really love this novel. It's not like yeah. I don't love it. I just and think... I was gonna say, out of the contest, she's the only one who actually made a completed work. Yeah. So it took her the longest, but she's the only one who has anything to actually show from that. So that's the tea, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> But the last fun fact, I don't think this has anything to do with Frankenstein at all, but it's just like a really funny slash weird fact, and that's... About who she is as a person. Yeah. I already know what you're going to say. I know. It just like explains who she is. You guys probably know what I'm going to say, too. It's a very like fun fact. I feel like if you care about literature at all, maybe you know. (laughs) Or you're like slightly gothic in some way. Right. But she, um, her husband drowned, Percy drowned, I think when she was around 24, Mm-hmm. And they had him cremated. And for some reason, his heart had calcified. Yeah. I forgot. It was some kind of condition that obviously they didn't know about then. Yeah. But yeah. Basically, his heart had calcified. And so it didn't burn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they called it like it turned to stone. It didn't, obviously. Right. So she carried it according to the like legend. Right. We don't she, know if this is actually yeah. true. She carried it around in her purse for the rest of her life. And I read something about even 
when they went to go and like clean up her house after her death, they still found his heart in like a drawer in her writing room or something like that. Right. And they were like, what is this? And isn't that just a couple goals? That's what we all strive for, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying, but yes. So that's Mary Shelley. And that's right. uh, just, I feel like her life alone just sounds gothic. Like reading ghost story, not gothic, gothic, but like literature gothic. Like reading right, ghost exactly. stories, wanted to carry her husband's heart around for the rest of her life. Right. So that just kind her. of, yeah, it gives us a nice setup for about to diving into the story. Yes, which we're going to do right now. In All case right. So, yeah. You guys didn't read, just in case people didn't read, we'll right. explain the we'll plot. We'll explain. We're going to go through just a few important plot points. Um, mm-hmm. Like we said, this is a pretty short novel. A lot does happen in this yeah. 166 pages. <laughs> but Also, we're not going to like summarize the whole thing. Right. Like, because then what would be the point? You could just read you the didn't spark read notes. it, you know? Exactly. Just read the spark notes before. Like, pause right now, read the spark notes, come back. And then come back. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay, so when the story begins, and I was actually very shocked by this because I had no idea that it was like a frame story. Yeah. Where, you know, this guy. Which, what is a frame story, by the way? Okay, so for those of you who don't know, know <laughs> a frame story is when somebody is telling like another story in mm. the story. So, kind of like if you think of like The Princess Bride, is a very popular example of that when he's telling like the story to oh, a yeah. little kid. My mind had to be like, who was telling the story in that? Right. So, when he's telling the story to the little kid yeah. and then the entire rest of the movie. So, that is a frame story essentially. Mm. And so, in this novel, it's like a frame story within a frame story. It's I so. want to say frameception. <laughs> <laughs> it's narrationception. Yes, exactly. Because sometimes it's a frame, it's like a frame story within a frame story within a frame story. And now we're the, another frame story. I was right. thinking about so that. Right. So now we're trying we're to tell. Because we're the fourth yeah. level telling you about the frame story. Exactly. So, so at this point, have which fun again. The unreliable narration <laughs> we're about to give you. Exactly. That's what I was about to say is that frame <laughs> stories typically you can attribute them to i would say unreliable yeah, narrators sure. and like unreliable narration in general just because you know it's a secondhand account mm-hmm. of the story and i think that authors tend to choose telling something through a frame story for that specific reason yeah. that I you're mean. supposed to understand the unreliable unreliability yes. of the narrators yes now i love unreliable narration i feel like those are the best stories to read because right. you can be like I've written two papers on that, like, really? in the past, like, two semesters at school. <laughs> I think they're so... F- I love, like, unreliable poems, like, um, the obvious, like, telltale heart. I not- Is that what I'm thinking of with the, like, he hears the heartbeat? Yes, yeah. Isn't that an unreliable narrator? I mean, yeah, you can say that. I mean, that they're all, because obviously. Or, like... You don't know, you know, why he would be hearing um, that or if he's insane. Have you read Porphyria's Lover? I have not. We'll have to... Re- Everyone, that's your homework. <laughs> read that. It's the best unreliable narrator ever. Yeah. It's so good. I okay. won't spoil the ending. Okay. But like unreliable we'll narrators are really fun. Okay. Yeah. So I think that sets up the story very nicely. And so again, we can kind of just infer from the fact that this guy named Walton, who I had no idea who would be a character, I was just like, who is this? And why is he writing letters to his sister? I don't think I've... And disclaimer, neither of us ended up watching the 1937 movie, I don't think. Like the original... The actual... Yeah. Line. Or any of the ones that are straight up about Frankenstein. But so far, like, none of the ones I watched even, like, hinted at the Walton character. They just dived right right in. Yeah. So, I mean, our homework, I guess, is to watch the original Frankenstein movie. I thought about (laughs) it. And see. I know. Yeah. I'm not going to be that person, but it's just not that appealing to me. I'd rather click on Frankenweenie, you know, on Hulu. So. Even Young Frankenstein was okay, although I know you differed with me. It was 
interesting, I guess. <laughs> Not that it was better than Frankenweenie. Right. I think we can both agree on that. That Frankenweenie is just the superior Frankenstein film <laughs> to come out of pop culture <laughs> yeah. in general. It's so good. Did you know Frankenweenie has a, like a 1980s version that's live action? It's on oh, Disney Oh, right. Plus. And it is a Disney movie as well. So Yeah. So this is really a setup for Frankenweenie. Right. We're just trying to get a Disney Plus sponsorship. So <laughs> Disney, if you're listening. <laughs> All right, so as we go through the story, um, as we're talking about Walton, Mm -hmm. so he comes across Victor um, while he is on, like, an expedition on his boats in the Arctic Circle. He wants to see, like, the North Pole. Like, he thinks there's going to be some big scientific discovery. Right, which, again, that kind of plays into the novel as well, like, the importance of science and how it is bad, how it is good, (laughs) in simple terms, I guess. Um, but so he essentially finds Victor. So then Victor tells him his story. Mm-hmm. And so Walton is writing Victor's story and sending it away. Yeah. Which is where we get sister. the frame story in the frame story. Yeah. Um, so that's like the first important thing, I guess, we get in the novel. And then I guess as we go on a little bit, we learn about Victor's story yeah. and who he is and his parents. And so we learn about his family. Um, and joining his family is a character named Elizabeth. Yeah. I think even before that, though, his mom, like... Right. That we was a weird about... story. Yeah. Okay, do you want to, like, explain that a little bit? Yeah. So I can... The mom, like... Hit... Victor's dad... And we call him Victor a lot more. At least I call him Victor more than I call him Frankenstein. So the Right. So that said, way we yeah. don't get confused. <laughs> Marina said Frankenstein earlier. I was like, what are you talking about? And then I was right. Like, oh, I was referring to him as Frankenstein. But yeah. we'll we'll call him Victor for the sake of simplicity. Um, also, he's not a doctor. I'm just kidding. Uh, but he's not. <laughs> but no, so it's, first of all, it's a little weird how, like, Victor's dad, what is his name? Alphonse. 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 Alphonse meets his mother. It's like his friend becomes poor and dies. So he takes in his daughter and ends up marrying her. Right. So after like two years. Probably he's a like, solid, okay. like, yeah. 17 to 20 year age difference. Like, right. I'm giving them a little. Leeway, leeway. <laughs> 17 but let's be real yeah especially because like the way that it's described is like he was her protector now which yeah. means he had to marry her which like course. necessarily isn't bad it's just like the idea that it's like your friend's daughter right it's just like but as we see you know that strange. doesn't matter apparently in 1818 well this it is set in the 1700s it also so really in doesn't the matter now like i guess Leonardo it would be a little DiCaprio. weird right <laughs> when we are getting too old for Leonardo DiCaprio right um but no so that already sets like a weird tone that already set like a weird tone for me because i was like okay and he was telling it as a positive which of course you would as your parents but you have to remember like of course victor's gonna tell something positive about his parents and walton really liked victor for some reason like was obsessed with he was like infatuated with him yeah Mm -hmm. a little like really but that probably did not sound like english at all but yeah he was really into him so Anyways, yeah. it was already weird when the mother showed up. So then it kind of paralleled when Elizabeth showed up because that's the right. whole reason they found Elizabeth was because of the mother. So I because of the mother, gonna... yes. Okay, so essentially what happens is Elizabeth, who is a young girl, joins their family because and she's they the same go... age as Victor. Right, she's the same age as Victor, and they find her in like a cottage orphanage thing. It was in like Italy. A cottage, right? They but rescue she was her. An like the way it's described is like they rescue her. Yeah. So they rescue her, and then she essentially joins the family, and the mother they call her has the idea that they will be married as soon as, like, the adoption yes. happens. So this is like, okay, we are bringing this person to our family, but she is to be your wife one day, Victor. Yeah, and there's a very important line with that that we will again bring up later. Right. 
So essentially, like that idea is placed in Victor's head then because the mother thinks As that is the right yeah. thing to do. So he has that idea of Elizabeth since they were young being his right, a possession of sorts. Yes, an they object. are betrothed. Betrothed? Betrothed? No. I cannot talk today. Betrothed. Betrothed. Okay. So after we learn about that. Both of our hands just like that. I know. We're just moving a lot of hands. Anyone listening wants to know, we kind of just like flopped our wrists around in circles for a while. Which is, you know, essentially how we mean, okay, the next point that we're going to bring up. Um, So after we learn about that, Victor is telling Walton about, you know, all of that, his His childhood, his family. Um, so after he kind of goes past his family life, mm-hmm. he goes into the creation. But the creation of what, you might ask? <laughs> Who knows? So we It's go, a cliffhanger. Oh. Um, so creation of what? Do you want to maybe speak a little bit? Yeah. So. Um, that voice really threw me off. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So he is gets really into like alchemy and other like natural sciences which by right. the way is kind of like a theme of romanticism a big which especially is especially the naturalism and nature the naturalism. Mm-hmm. there was so much naturalism that was a huge thing that we learned about in that british literature class that i was talking about like huge themes is the just amount the naturalism of pages that were just like i was sad and then i saw the winter leaves and i felt blessed and i was right. like oh yeah this is romanticism I right exactly I like, like winter leaves winter that is leaves, a big theme leaves. that victor essentially until towards the end of the novel which is an important fact in mm-hmm. itself is that he's like soothed by nature mm-hmm. anytime that he feels stressed it's yeah, like and then there was nature, nature and i felt great yeah. and i was at peace again um so yeah so he's at college his professors doubt him but he becomes this like top student super amazing and a few years and i think only like what two years and about ish i don't yeah. know he starts creating his monster Right. As he calls it mm-hmm. the creation, his monster, the creation, yeah, whatever you want to call him. Um, if you accidentally call him Frankenstein, we won't kill you. <laughs> I accidentally Frankenstein's do it monster all the time. Um, no, but yeah, so he creates the monster, and that's what we were talking about beforehand. Is the main point, obviously, is the main point that Shelley wrote is like, how dare someone play God mm-hmm. and create life? And that's what exactly what Victor did. And I exactly. think right there already shows you. Does Mary Shelley like Victor? Right. She purposely wrote a character doing something she thinks is stupid. Yeah. She said, "Why like, would you is blasphemy?" Life? Yeah. Essentially, she said, don't do that. And Victor does it. So, right. don't trust Victor. Right. Based on that fact. Based alone. on this, like in the beginning, like mm-hmm. he so. is doing all these crazy things, and again, like he also is very like a flip floppy kind of He's personality very yeah. um like you just said like he was into like alchemy and all of that stuff but then he distrusts it later like he kind yeah. of throws it away like no that's not true because science and... and so you know he plays god in a sense that is almost magical so i think that's kind of important like yeah. to show who he is as a person and a character yeah so very yeah. wishy-washy but yeah he creates exactly. this monster exactly what mary shelley dreamed happened the second the monster opened his eyes he thought he would see the most beautiful thing in the entire world, and instead he was horrified, ran away, thought he'd never have to see it again, and then he did. And something I thought that was interesting, I'll just say quick because I know we're already going a little quick on time, but I thought it was interesting, it just said he grinned. 
at mm-hmm. Victor. So my mind was, was it an evil grin? Right. Like, like what was the connotation of grin in yeah. the 1700s? Like, like, what are we supposed we to think that he's that doing? Up. But I feel right. like <laughs> just grinning at someone isn't that bad. So it was or like that menacing. Yeah. Was he really that bad? Did Victor just have like a panic over nothing? Which like Victor, I get it, but like. Right. I mean, if he gave life to him, then essentially he should. That's your son. That's right. your child. Exactly. And so do we want to maybe go into like the description and how that differs from what we maybe think of Frankenstein now? If you want to, because I know it interests you. Okay, it does. Um, so maybe I'll talk about it a little it's bit more. Yellow. We'll talk about it a little bit more later towards the end of the show. But um, just to bring it up, like the way that she describes him is with like yellowing skin, as you can see, like, you know, the muscles and things. Almost because, like decomposing. Skin. Yeah, like a decomposing body. Which so makes much more sense the than The way, yeah, that you read it if you try to go in and not think about everything you've been bombarded with your entire life Mm -hmm. and how you think he's supposed to look which is very difficult but the way that he's described is almost zombie-like so if you want to have an actual picture of what frankenstein looks like it would be more like a zombie i would say of what you would assume a zombie to look like peeling off skin Mm -hmm. like rotting yellow yeah like rotting flesh yeah nastiness i don't know where you had, wait, you had a fun fact where the green came from. Right. So the green. Just go ahead and tell us. Yeah, I can just go ahead and spoil that instead. Spoil the green. So Sorry. what happened, I guess, is that the green in Frankenstein was not really a thing, even in that, like, you know, the universal monster Frankenstein, because yeah. that was black and white. So you just never knew what color he was. So I guess mm. in my mind, I'm thinking he's always been green and he was green when it was black and white. You just couldn't yeah. tell. But that's false. He was actually yellow in the black and white feature but you just can't tell Mm -hmm. and later the only other color that they had was the resurrection of the character in like the monsters and so he was actually a bluish color so that's kind of like it was weird it was like a teal yeah so still no green so where the green came from yeah where the green came from was it was kind of published in some comics and I think in Mad Magazine in like the 60s so like 64 Mm -hmm. 67 and so the only time that he was actually green in a movie for the first time was actually a Scooby-Doo film. So the title was Scooby-Doo and the Reluctant Werewolf, and this was in 1988. And that's the first time that Frankenstein made his appearance as a green monster on screen. That's incredible. And now yeah. you think Frankenstein, you think green. As exactly. Covered in and green. the bolts in the head and yeah. the stitches. I don't. None of that was mentioned. Like, right. Exactly. Like, think more original Frankenstein, like Walking Dead zombies, versus yeah. what you think of when you think of Frankenstein For and sure. all of our decorations that we have that are very green. So, so that's just you know, basically just to quickly go through the plot though. After he created Frank, see, I almost did it. After he created Frankenstein's monster. monster. After Frankenstein <laughs> created Frankenstein's monster, uh, he pretty much shunned him. Wanted nothing to do with him. And everyone around Victor started dying. Right. Why? Mysterious. You might wonder. (laughs) Because of the monster. Dun, dun, dun. But is the monster evil? Is the monster the monster, you might ask, of the story? You need to stop. (laughs) Um, I feel like... What do you think? Well, if we're going to go on just the very surface level of that question, which is like all the memes like, oh, you mean Frankenstein's monster? Or like, who was the real monster of the story? Well, like, as you go through the novel and you kind of get, like, you always get the secondhand accounts, right? Yeah. So we're never really feeling the emotions of, like, I mean, each character. Victor hated yeah. him for moment one. Right, exactly. So Victor only shows him in a negative light. Mm-hmm. 
And but even then, you do see him, like, in a positive, like, when he's telling exactly. his own story. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, so the How monster. Was it? Yeah. I feel like the monster, there are parts of it where you, you feel bad for him. You do. Like, the rejection. He was definitely... So you're just brought into this world. And again, this is also, like, an allusion to, you know, being yeah. born. And there's yeah. even, there's a line about abortion, right? Really? I want to find the quote. I can look it up. But there is a quote, I think, that he said he felt like that or I don't know I'll have to look it up but But, um, it is kind of like an allusion to that because like it's somebody not being wanted yeah right from when he's born and then he continues to be rejected by everybody that he tries to feel any kind of attachment to and keep that in mind because that's the theme we're going to talk about in a second right (laughs) so basically just to like I said to get it over with the plot summary Everyone on Victor starts dying because he can't just face the monster. When he does, he kind of flakes. He promises to make him a bride, then he won't. Right. So essentially, he, I was going to yeah. say how the order of the murders or people yeah. dying around Victor start happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially, everyone close to Victor kind of dies, which yeah. is an important fact, like towards the end of the novel. And they were so important um, to him in the beginning. Right, exactly. So uh, Victor does have a younger brother named William, and... Like you know, his youngest brother. His right? youngest brother, yeah. yeah, and their family. Um, and so after a pretty harsh rejection of a family that the monster has come to love and feel like an attachment to, rejects him, he sees William and he kills him specifically to get back at Victor for mm-hmm. being the first one to reject him. So he kills his brother and another young girl in the family who becomes adopted into the Frankenstein family, her name is Justine. But she's a servant instead right. of a cousin, like mm-hmm. Elizabeth. Instead of, like, the high family, standard Elizabeth yeah. is held to, she is kind of, yeah, in that lower level. Um, she actually takes the fall for this, and although nobody wants to hear it, you know, she's completely innocent, and she is actually executed so not only is his brother murdered, but he's, like, responsible for another death of an and innocent Victor person. And Victor knows the truth. Yes. Yeah. Victor and Victor is the this. only one who knows the truth. So that's also very important as we continue through the story. He's not a good person. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, the reason, like, that whole section is important is because, again, I was talking about how he gets rejected, the monster. Yeah. Um, from this peasant family that he's kind of been, like, shadowing and yeah. living off of, like he feels a connection to them so it's like a young not a young family a family that consists of like an older gentleman and he's blind Mm -hmm. and so he also there's like a young girl and um there's also a son so there's the old man his son and then a girl and then there's a foreign woman who also lives with them so they're all in this little peasant cottage essentially Mm -hmm. and the monster kind of forms an attachment to them by watching them for so long so he's just kind of watching their everyday life so he learns from them he actually gets books and he starts to read Mm -hmm. after learning the language a little bit by copying the sounds that the people would make Mm -hmm. so he essentially watches them to learn how to live as a person yeah which again he's becoming more human in that way so development exactly (laughs) so after that he thinks that he understands them enough that he could maybe get through to them and maybe they won't see him as a monster mm-hmm. essentially because he's learned everything he knows almost from them mm-hmm. and so he actually makes a little plan kind of smart because the older man is blind like i said the monster is definitely really smart yeah he is he's very intelligent yeah. he learns pretty quickly i would say yeah. <laughs> essentially if you know no language and you know you start reading paradise lost yeah. is one of the books he picks up 
Um, so he goes up to the old man when he thinks everybody else is mm-hmm. gone, and he tries to kind of introduce himself, but then the rest of the family returns, and then they actually all beat him. And so it's a very harsh rejection. I like, knew that happened, but it still made me sad. I know. So it's a very harsh rejection, and, you know, that's when he goes and he kills William because yeah. he's trying to get back at... Too know, much rejection. Right. He's trying to get back at Victor because he wouldn't be feeling this pain if he was never brought into this world, yeah. essentially. So after that, we go on, and so we talked about how Justine gets blamed for this murder. She's mm. executed as well. Victor begins to feel intense guilt. He's the only one who knows the truth. But he's not like, he's not going, oh, poor Justine. He's like, he's oh like, my poor God, me. myself. He said something that really caught me off guard with Justine's death. He was like, at least she'll discover peace after life. We'll all have to live with it. And I'm like, boo hoo. Yeah. You didn't just get executed. He almost romanticizes yeah. being dead. Yeah. So he doesn't have to deal with this anymore, which is like, it comes up a few times, which I think is kind of interesting. Like, I get it, but I'm also like, okay, but she did just get executed because you didn't tell the truth and you're going to pretend like you have it worse. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Okay, so then again as we go on more people kind of die around victor everyone so victor has a close friend from his childhood who he's grown up with whose name is henry and talks about all the time right so henry is at least what i notice is he's kind of a foil to victor so yeah yeah, like they have almost a parallel life artsy like us yeah (laughs) victor's very like science right exactly so like essentially you know they've grown up together henry takes care of him victor is the same to henry Mm -hmm. they're very close um so henry kind of follows in victor's footsteps eventually because victor's kind of like hey like why don't you do this like science Mm -hmm. it's the best you know come join our side (laughs) and so then um like henry is always described with a lot of joy in contrast to victor and you know you kind of feel that victor resents that a little bit even though like henry I feel like maybe he doesn't necessarily resent, but I feel but like feel in the it. writing, yeah, you can feel like as that's the foil to Victor, yeah. that no, maybe he is. wishes that he could be like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, another fun fact is just that every time I read Henry's name, I would just think of Henry Cavill. So, you know, that was fun to just picture Henry Cavill, Superman, the Witcher, as we're reading Frankenstein. I really pictured like a large man. Like- <laughs> Henry as the, like as who Henry, Henry would be, yeah. Know, oh yeah, that was my. Picture. There's just very interesting connotations to the name Henry, I guess. <laughs> my grandpa's name, um, but yeah. So the reason that we're bringing up Henry and how important he is to Victor is again, everyone important to Victor kind of falls victim to death. So does Henry. <laughs> so he actually is killed by the monster that mm-hmm. Victor has created and do you want to explain maybe why he did this to Henry the monster I want to say Henry was killed because Victor decided not to create a female for like a companion for mm-hmm. the monster so the monster yeah, really exactly wanted a right. companion mm-hmm. Victor decided again he was creating it yeah he was like in the works it. of it yeah like and there's the ready. scene when he's you know making all the plans mm-hmm. and he he's very conflicted with this and he kind of just wants to do it so the monster will leave him alone and leave his life be but then he has a vision of like oh no what if they have children and then they have like you know the spawn of Satan like roam the earth and it's like very strong imagery when 
his face is like pressed up against the window i yeah. think the monster yeah. Close, yeah and so that's when he decides no i will not make this companion and he essentially like gets rid of all of his plans and everything that he had going yeah. towards making the female companion and so in response to this um you know henry pays the price yeah. um the monster strangles him which is his which chosen yeah you know murder <laughs> yeah exactly so here we have henry dead and it's important to know that um, Victor is actually accused of being the murderer yeah. for Henry's death because he like falls asleep on a boat essentially while he's just kind of drifting so again, off. He's trying to find right calm solace in nature. nature. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so Fancy word. He actually wakes up on the boat, and then people are like, "Oh, you know, you're the only person out here, and we just found a body." Yeah. So essentially, Which is what it happened must to be Justine? You. Right? Yeah. I just thought of something. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we can hear it in a little bit. Okay. So, yeah. So, essentially, he gets blamed for that. And, mm-hmm. you know, he turns to his father. His father rushes over but there. Acquitted. Right. He is acquitted because there is only circumstantial evidence, essentially, because he's found near the body. So, he is acquitted for Henry's murder, but he does spend a little bit of time, you know, in prison yeah, or whatever. Does. Jail. Jail. <laughs> um. But, yeah, so after that happens, um, he kind of confesses to, well, like, his father in a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of jumping ahead a little no, bit. No, yeah. So. Like I said, they can read the spark notes. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so if you're not caught up in understanding what we're doing, just kidding, we'll, we'll explain. Yeah. So essentially that is a big turning point, I guess, after, you know, he feels like this tension with I mean, yeah, the Henry's monster yeah that was like you know his confidant you know his best friend since they were children and so they go what happens is elizabeth we talked about you know how they were to be married um the monster actually makes a threat to victor and he says i will see you on your wedding night mm-hmm. and so this haunts victor like essentially and it is all he can think about when you know he confides in his father and his father is like you know like the wedding it'll be great everything will be fine and so you know they get married and it is their honeymoon night and so do you maybe want to talk about what happens then <laughs> elizabeth gets strangled right which, I knew you were gonna which say more we than couldn't that. see coming total twist total twist even though victor couldn't see it for some reason even right. though everyone around him was getting murdered by the monster he didn't see it coming to the point where he put her in a room by herself right. with a window mm-hmm. thinking, oh, she'll be safe because she's away from me and instead murdered. Right. Stupid Victor. Again. Yeah. And he did that on purpose, like to put her away yeah, because be he was waiting for the monster. And I think what's important in that scene is that yeah. he has that thought of like, well, me and the monster will fight. One of us will die. Yeah. And no matter what happens, I will be free of the monster because I'll either win mm-hmm. and the monster will be dead or I will be dead. So essentially we see how selfish and self-centered Victor is. Very self-centered. <laughs> Especially because, again, as we talk about, we'll dive deeper into a little bit, um, yeah. like the feminism at play and, you know, what might not be feminism is like, you know, he sees Elizabeth as his possession. Yeah. So he doesn't essentially even think about that maybe she might be harmed. <laughs> so there is that moment of realization that he actually has the monster threatened not just me like it was elizabeth yeah. yeah so i will see you on your wedding night he Which, didn't think that he would not visit see elizabeth. when your right. brother's been murdered and your best friend's been murdered yeah like 
So Elizabeth, you know, succumbs to the same fate. And he goes to his father and he kind of is like, hey, I'm the reason all these people are dead. Including Elizabeth. Right. I made a monster and he's killed everyone. And the father is like, oh, no, like my son might be going crazy. (laughs) That is not possible. So, um, yeah, after that, we kind of return to Walton's letters. Mm -hmm. And then that's when, you know, Victor is that guy who's washed up in freaking Arctic Circle. Yeah. Yeah, very ill. Like, yeah. The way they describe him is like almost like skeleton like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like my earrings. Right. Which are skeletons. Skeletons. (laughs) So essentially we return to Walton's letters Mm -hmm. to kind of go out of the story. And so we have them deciding to return to England on the ships. And then get to the North Pole. Right. They just couldn't make it. And then Victor succumbs to his injuries of living in the North Pole, like being in the North Pole. And um, it is important to note that the reason that he was in the North Pole was to chase after the monster. Because essentially what had happened after Elizabeth had died is that he confided in his father and his father was so distraught by the loss of Elizabeth that his father actually dies a few days later. Mm -hmm. Everyone he loves is gone. Everyone that Victor has ever cared about is dead except his other brother but he doesn't really talk about him much does he or did no, i miss something no i mean he's not really that important okay so he's not close not okay. the way that like killing william enraged yeah. victor to yeah. you know continually reject yeah. the monster even further um but so we get his death so victor dies victor finally dies victor finally dies and kind of saw it coming yeah and so he kind of tells walton you know all of these secrets and he's like yeah you know hopefully you believe me and so walton actually does like we said he's kind of like super into the story and victor as a person obsessed with victor for sure yeah and so when he sees victor dead um he actually sees like the monster like crying over victor's body because he's weeping for his creator is like Mm. the way it's kind of described it's kind of like if i remember correctly he liked the chase in a way he liked that was his companionship in a way was Mm -hmm. victor that was like all he had. He would That's keep all he Victor had left, close yeah. through the murders. Um, so yeah, that's basically the plot. And right. I believe the monster actually. Spoiler alert: the monster then kills himself. Because what else is there if not to torment Victor? Yeah. So essentially, what it comes down to is that you know he takes away everyone Victor loves, and so he only has the monster left. Yeah. So there's no reason to further reject him. So you know the monster enjoys the taunting of victor and you know that's the only person he ever had Mm -hmm. so the monster never got a choice victor kind of did have a choice but the monster Monster made it so yeah exactly he kind of took that from him because victor took it from him by creating him and then you know shunning him immediately yeah so you know i'm not gonna say like he got what was coming to him but he kind of did a little bit they both did i mean there was some innocence lost in the way elizabeth did not deserve to be strangled on her honeymoon (laughs) night but (laughs) um you know there's a bigger story at play here so yeah that's basically the whole plot right so those are like kind of obviously you know we've missed little bits and pieces here which we might kind of dive into with Mm. a little bit of the themes we're going to go into but right so try to that was the main plot of the story and that's how the story ends um no victor (laughs) no monster right so only walton exactly walton is the only one in the end of the novel yes okay so 
I mean, did you have like a favorite part maybe of the novel? Not really. And that doesn't mean I didn't like the novel. There was just nothing that stood out. I guess I did like the creation, but maybe Mm -hmm. just because I liked that. I read the four beforehand where Mary Shelley said that would be a bad thing. And that's the main point. So it was kind of exciting getting to that point and being like, oh, this is the part she dreamed about. But that's really it. There was nothing where I was like, you kind of got that. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't really have something that necessarily like sticks out. But then, you know, as I think about it, because it just seems like obviously the entire novel is kind of a tragedy. And so it also has a main character who we don't like. I know we both feel very strongly that Victor makes terrible all the terrible mistakes. decisions. Like he has many chances to kind of yeah. maybe go back on what he's done and maybe fix mm-hmm. some things. And he takes every opportunity to continually deny that and reject all of those chances that he's given. But um, so we don't like him. And I know that it's hard to maybe care about or find a favorite fact in a book when you don't like the main character. But um, I would definitely say, like, the realization he has of the monster's threat not being for him. Yeah. Because, again, like I said, like, Victor was extremely self-centered. And I don't know, like, that realization that he has when he hears Elizabeth scream, like, the way it's described is, like, he hears Elizabeth scream and he knows that the monster didn't mean that he was coming for him, that he was coming for Elizabeth. I thought you were going to say his death. And I was like, you're cold. Oh, my God. I mean, maybe. (laughs) But I don't know. I think that was just interesting. Like, I really love hearing like the inside thoughts he's no like, longer yeah. self I mean he's still self-centered but he realizes he's been self-centered in a way right yeah that he had no idea that it was caught off guard completely I will say though since we're kind of on the topic of things we liked and I know there's a lot of it wasn't so much this I mean I like the story but it wasn't so much the story that stood out to me it was the themes so I did want to talk about some of the themes that I really liked um and obviously like I'll just get this one out of the way almost because I feel like we've already mentioned it is the unreliable narration Mm -hmm. and i think because of the unreliable narration (laughs) it sort of like paves the way for the other themes because you can realize is victor right in this moment right certain points i wanted to like point out like um like we said it's basically like narratorception like it's three stories like if you're listening to the monsters version of something that's a victor telling the monsters point of view and Walter's telling Victor, telling that. Right. And we're telling you. Okay, I just, that makes me laugh for some reason. <laughs> but you can kind of tell in certain moments um, that he's unreliable. Like, first of all, I, I found him unreliable when he was explaining his professor to be a jerk. Yeah. He was the like, one who, like, inspired him, right? Not, the one who was like, oh, I think alchemy is oh, stupid. Oh, right, yes. And he was like, this guy's an asshole. And it's like. Was he? I mean, that's kind of rude, but, like, was he? Or is that just, like, you didn't, like, is he that disagreed with you? Exactly, yeah. But then what really got me, and I even marked it in this book, it's page 39. <laughs> uh, it's when Henry comes to visit him at the college, and he's feeling better after his, like, nervous breakdown. So Henry says, like, I have one thing I need to tell you. And you hear Victor's thoughts, and they're, oh, my gosh, does he know about the monster? Does he know? And Henry out loud says, your family wants you to write to them. And Victor... Vector, Vector, oh like despicable me. Stop. <laughs> Victor says, "Of course, my first thought is of my family," and it's like, but it wasn't. It wasn't because yeah. we just heard your first thought was of the monster. Mm-hmm. So right there, I was like, "This guy can't be trusted. He just lied to his friend. He just lied to us." Right. And Mary Shelley, I think, did that on purpose because mm-hmm. so now we have a guy who Mary Shelley doesn't like that he created something he shouldn't have. And he's a liar. Yeah. So 
that's re- just in general unreliable narration is fun because it leads to like other themes i don't know if that connects with some of your themes or yeah i mean for sure it definitely like connects to how the rest of the novel is portrayed for sure mm-hmm. and how we can actually like get those themes from the novel because if we're relying on the unreliable narration then it's a little difficult sometimes right exactly um yeah so i guess those were like our favorite kind of things in the Mm -hmm. novel i I Um, love unreliable narration i find it so interesting exactly so we will probably talk about that in a few other novels i'm sure that's probably the most pretentious thing i've ever said out loud (laughs) it's okay i think maybe the audience of this will appreciate that or so we hope (laughs) Some might. Yeah, so, I mean, do you want to dive into maybe, like, a first big theme of the book that I know you're pretty excited to talk about, and I'm excited to... This one or this one? This uh, one, you mean? Yeah, of course. I'm, I know which one she meant. I'm just... I'm, we're just pointing to things on the screen. Yeah. What you can't see is my laptop's literally right here, and I'm right. pointing at my notes. Anyways, so the biggest theme, and I want to point out, because I don't like to take credit where credit's not due. I, like I said, I read this in high school, and I think that's why I liked reading it now, is because I didn't understand analysis then. I was just like, oh, this is a cool story. Where now, I like, I follow a literary meme page on Instagram, (laughs) and I sent this to you, I remember. And I was like, is Frankenstein feminist? Is this a feminist work? Yeah, because the meme was about Frankenstein being feminist. I remember being like, are you telling me my favorite novel from high school was a feminist novel, and I didn't realize till just now? And after reading it, yeah, it kind of is. Because a lot of stuff we talk about, and even more. So, like, I'll just get right into it. Why, at least I think, and I mm-hmm. know you think it's feminist too, right? Yeah. Okay, I know. So, go I ahead. Don't, I, don't like I just want to hear because but... I know you're pretty excited about this one. So, first of all, as we said, Mary Shelley herself was already a feminist. So, if you read this book without knowing it, that's why we wanted to tell you about Mary Shelley. Because if mm-hmm. you read this book yeah, without knowing important. it, you would think, like, okay, flat female characters very round dynamic whatever male characters male characters how annoying i've read books like that you've read books like that we've all read books like that it gets frustrating you want a mixture of both you can have both but no but it's mary shelley writing it so it's a little like and because it's unreliable narration you realize it's from a narrator who mary shelley doesn't trust Mm -hmm. and thinks is a liar not thinks a liar but is a liar is a liar yeah presenting these women and so and so the way that he sees women is very different than how if she was to write from her own point of view she would describe women so it's almost like and we'll explain like the details of that we're just telling you know the big theme we'll give some examples but basically it's mary shelley giving an example of how men were in those days and how men even are in these days i've read books from like nowadays that sound like that i Elizabeth even reminded me of, like, the stereotype of, like, the manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. Like, she's the 1700s <laughs> version of that. Like, right. she's perfect, she's quiet, she's beautiful. When she and aged she just, and she became a woman. Yeah, the way that she's described is, like, she was just waiting for Victor. She became that's a That's all caretaker. she knows, yes. Ugh. Oh, my God. That's she liter- took yeah, over for the mother's mm-hmm. role, and she was amazing. But, yeah, that's some of the stuff I have. First of all, we already kind of mentioned it. Uh, you said it, but I have the quote written down here. When they adopt Elizabeth... Victor's mother literally says, I have a pretty present for my Victor. Tomorrow he shall have it. Mary Shelley openly doesn't write that way when it's her perspective. So Mm -hmm. that's already showing this is how women were perceived. And this is how people perceived women as objects. Yeah, and even in the society, the mother views her like that as well. Exactly. So he was 
built that way and he was mm-hmm. taught that way. Ooh, built is a good choice of words, especially because of <gasps> I creating the that. monster. Stop. Oh, my subconscious is so smart. <laughs> um, but no, so that quote right away jumped at me. I was like, oh my God, that's disgusting. Right. Um, yeah. But basically they're just, they're always considered objects. I even, I saw on one source back when I looked this up, the women are never to really described as deeply as the men are described. Mm-hmm. Like Elizabeth is the love of his life. So you'd think you'd have huge descriptions of her. Right. Where instead you have these long, massive descriptions of Henry. It's like, okay, we get yeah. it. You love Henry, but you hear nothing really about Elizabeth, except for that she's a good caretaker. She's nice. The only really good moment I saw of Elizabeth was when she stood up for Justine. Is that mm-hmm. her name? Yes, that's yeah. Justine, yeah. So that was the only really, like... Right. I feel like the times you saw Elizabeth Strong weren't when he was describing Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. It was when you were hearing quotes of Elizabeth. Does that yeah. make sense? Mm-hmm. So, it's almost like so it he, doesn't have, like, his influence yes, of, like, how he it's perceives like you were things. Seeing, you were seeing the unreliable narration of, like, okay, when you hear Elizabeth talk... It's one way. It's versus, strong. Mm-hmm. Where when you hear him describe Elizabeth, it's weak and protecting and right. flat. And, and passive. Like, passive. yeah. Yeah. Dainty. <laughs> um, She's for him. She's a gift. Yeah. And even um, another, like, kind of a contrast to Elizabeth is the monster, the female monster. Right. So it was described, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, he realizes he doesn't want to create the monster when he realizes she could be a free thinker she could have her own Mm -hmm. opinions she could find the male monster ugly and not want to be with him like it was when he had those thoughts he was like nope so it basically was mary shelley showing that the second a woman has opinions and her own free will and her own free will ugh, how dare she to society that's ugly you know (laughs) <laughs> so that's some of the feminist points there's a million million more but those are like i thought the quote from the mother and the monster right. big ones basically just the entire presentation of elizabeth those are huge so yeah i was gonna say branching off of that i know something that i found interesting was like you know that little peasant family that we were describing mm-hmm. before yes. um so that foreign woman that i mentioned that was living with the peasant family her name was Sophie. i hope that i'm saying that right but that is how i pronounced it at least while i was reading um she actually is the only women only women the only woman in the work that i feel like is described in a strong way and that's only because again we're getting it from like a secondhand account we're not learning her own thoughts but you know it's just how she's viewed also you wonder if it's because the monster viewed her in his exactly. time of innocence mm-hmm. so he wasn't before he even yeah societal exactly he doesn't have anything to base that off of yeah and so like she's described as strong as she was able to leave i think it was i'm not sure which country i can't remember but um she's described leaving like her islamic background and coming back which is problematic in its own it's ways now yeah. um i'm sure in 1818 that was the that was do. yeah and so i kind of find it funny that she leaves like her islamic background and comes to be a christian and so now she is radicalized like she yeah. is a strong feminine woman because she joins christianity which is uh pretty funny the in white today's feminism. yeah exactly <laughs> the white feminism tm coming out from mary shelley <laughs> yeah, there had to be one thing that was a little bit interesting but um that's the 17th yeah hundreds. so i mean the way that she's described is a way that that is strong and empowering to yeah. her that she was able to leave anything at all i think obviously if we were to make yeah. a modern version of this maybe it would just be like her leaving her family, a bad yeah. situation maybe you know abuse yeah. or something I think if like you that just look at it like that like 
if she, I can't remember if she had a, like a bad family or not, or mm-hmm. if it was just the religion. But yeah, if it was someone leaving a bad family or a bad home life, right. that's one thing. But it is funny that it, yeah, not funny, but like, hmm, yeah, that in today that you know jumping like, from one oh. religion to another is not going to grant you like yeah. that is the strong feminine woman of 2020 versus yeah. you know back then. So I don't know. That was just another interesting thing that I but wanted you to know point it's out. Her, right like, with being feminist in the time. Right, exactly. Like that was her view on. Yeah. She was strong enough to leave one bad outcome that she thought was bad in her own sense to come stay and be poor with this peasant family and that's a better outcome for her and so obviously like you said the monster sees her in that way and we see her maybe as she truly is like a strong woman because he doesn't have anything else to base that off of yeah this is pre getting upset (laughs) right exactly the The rejection the additional rejection past victor yeah more rejection and i think Oh, I said interesting. Something interesting, but I can't. Remember. Oh, what I find interesting is this feminism isn't obvious. Mm-hmm. So I kind right. of like the idea that this book got popularized, and this, by the way, was published under an anonymous name. Mm-hmm. So people actually thought her husband wrote this book um, because he did the introduction, but it wasn't. It was obviously Mary Shelley. So I think it's an interesting way to like sneak feminist rhetoric into something or yeah. rhetoric. I rhetoric. Don't know how yeah. People say it. I want to say rhetoric. I'm like, I know that's wrong. But it's just like sneaking the feminism in there. Right. But, you know. For the time, I would say it's extremely feminist yeah. versus now you kind of kind of dig a little bit. But like we said, inventor of the horror genre, inventor of gothic literature, <laughs> right. sci-fi. Which in its own right is a feminist achievement, I would say. Yeah. When you know her more than her husband, even though at the time people had no idea who she was. Right. So. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's a pretty big one we wanted to discuss. Yeah, and I know more about it. It's just... Yeah, you can definitely dig, and there's a few quotes that we've probably missed, yeah. but... Um, I think the mom one's the biggest quote, mm-hmm. literally saying, Elizabeth is yours. Yeah, that you can really see, you know. Also, with this book, though, like, there's probably a hundred themes being talked about. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. We cannot discuss them all, otherwise so we'd be here for we're hours. we just really talking about the ones we think are interesting. Right, like, which ones we kind of want to discuss, so... Did you right, have one? Yeah. I was going to say, um, I know that you had a really special one that you were kind of saving that I, I haven't heard about. So I was. Maybe you want to surprise me. Okay. So you don't want to talk about your other one? Or you think we're getting close? No, it's okay. You can go ahead. Okay. So I found another theme. Literally was like in the beginning of the book, just thinking about the story. Because like I said, I read this before. And it is, dun, 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 infanticide. Oh, interesting. How Which, so? It sounds so weird when I say that out loud. It feel creepy. But if you don't <laughs> know what infanticide is, it's kind of what the name implies, and that's the crime of killing a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and you maybe can already pick on it, pick up on it just from what I'm saying. Right. But in literature, and what we've already said. Yeah. And what we've talked <laughs> about. In literature, it can be considered more broad than just a child. It can be anyone who's considered childlike, anyone considered like innocent, because children tend to be innocent. Mm-hmm. And it's a common theme in literature. Um, I have some kind of notes about it just right. to get like a backbone. And that's like the reason infanticide is such a common theme is because it goes so far against human nature. Because one, it's murder. Mm-hmm. And you really shouldn't murder. Right. Whether you're religious or not. Yeah. You shouldn't murder. I think we can maybe all agree on that. Yeah. Uh, number two, you're killing the innocent. So it's not even like the argument of like, do you kill some, do you do the death penalty for a guilty person? It's literally killing the innocent. Mm -hmm. There's no argument of whether that's right and wrong. And on top of that, I think what combines them is it's ending 
society as you know it because if you kill the children society can't grow Mm -hmm. there's no there's no one else left yeah so you're defeating i feel like part of i don't like this but i feel like a huge part of society is you have to grow society you have to Mm -hmm. keep producing and reproducing and so anyways that's why infanticide i feel like is a huge theme of this book and usually when infanticide comes up in a story not good things are going to happen. Right. I mean, you can kind of infer You're that. You're committing yeah. a sin. Bad things are going to happen. Which kind of goes into that play of the whole religious aspect yeah. of the novel as well, which we've touched on a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the thing about the infanticide, I'm so excited to like nerd out to you about this, even though it's like the creepiest topic, but this is a creepy book. Um, by the way, the book's not like creepy, creepy. Like you think, oh, it's going to be scary. It's not. Yeah. It was probably scary in like 1800s. Yeah. By but today's standards, you can... It's good. Yeah, It's more like it. a thriller. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, there's themes of infanticide with, first of all, um, Victor creates his monster. That's basically his child. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, okay. I would say so. You can disagree if you want, but... Again, that's... I was mentioning that thing about the whole abortion thing, yeah, which exactly. I found that line. So after you go on to this, I will include okay, that cool. as well. Perfect. So it fits. It's the the monster is victor's child and like the second he's born he's like nope don't want it not mine not gonna take care of it not taking care of an infant that's infanticide Mm -hmm. right away so that's trouble because that's a kid no longer being helped um so i that was crazy to me um so i'm just trying to see my notes um there were other small hints of it to like prove a point like when william dies is that his name? Yes, his brother. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Elizabeth goes, oh, it's my fault. Like, she blames on herself. She says that I killed my, like, my son or something. She basically says, I killed a child. Mm-hmm. So that's just, like, there's just little... The basic point is what Frankenstein is doing to his monster, but there's little things that kind of hint at it, like the feminism. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Um, An interesting thing, so I emailed a professor, if you're a UNF student watching this, I emailed one of my professors, who you probably (laughs) realize, talks about infanticide, and he was like, yeah, you're right. And he mentioned something else, which is the, let me see exactly what he said, the logic of the infanticidal, which is the invisible, not explicit, but implicit, with its consequences arriving at some intermediate point in the future. So basically, like, not explicit infanticide but like some sort of infanticide happening and i think that does happen in the book as well um he didn't say that directly about frankenstein but he sent it in my email about it right so i kind of like was like hmm and i felt like that in the book because there's specifically points where that basically means he used some examples from our class but an example i can use from frankenstein is victor created the monster so that's his creation right his child essentially yeah but in a way, William can be considered his child because aren't we all supposed to protect the innocent? And right. he and Elizabeth were kind of the caretakers of them sometimes. Of the, yeah. Like Elizabeth was mostly... And that's because his mo- his mother yeah, had died when he was younger. Yeah, because his mother died, Elizabeth became the parent mm-hmm. and the two of them were connected. So there was this kind of connection with William that he was the younger, the, you know, Victor was kind of his, not his father figure because he had a father, but he, it was like a symbolic yeah second father figure but because victor committed infanticide with the monster that caused the death of william through the monster right so the logic of the infanticidal happened i don't know if that's going to connect 
you guys can look it up. But do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So essentially, like William, if you view it through that lens, yeah. since he is the innocent in this picture, yeah. um, you know, you always think of the children, childlike, yeah. the innocence. Victor killed so the So Victor essentially as Elizabeth had to step up into the role of being a mother because he was the one who was like, oh, you're supposed to, you know, Elizabeth belongs to you. Yeah. So essentially you're, you know, connected to her in that way where he's sort of a father figure. Mm-hmm. Even though they still have a father, he is that father-ish figure yeah. to William. And so because of and what he's, he's like done. An older brother tends yeah, to be exactly. a father figure, especially from like they have a huge Yeah, it has gap. a big influence. Yeah, he, there is a they large age Victor. gap. Yeah, So... It's just the fact that because of his um, actions that his Williams died. actions. Yeah. William died, yeah. Then you can say, you know, that he was the cause of that. And yeah. that is true, as we know. Mm. You know, William wouldn't have died if he never rejected the monster. So he killed So maybe William. not even, you know, if he never made the monster, William would still be alive. If he yeah. never rejected the monster in the yeah. way that he did. Which so he, the rejection yes, kind exactly. of ties into what I was saying where that quote that i did go and find yes um so the monster describes himself as an abortion which is sad but so he says i the miserable and the abandoned am an abortion to be spurned at and kicked and trampled on and so when he He says this yeah he literally was all those things um so this is in like walton's final letter Mm -hmm. and he's recalling the words that he hears the monster saying over victor's dead body yeah and so when victor is gone then the monster is like that's me i'm unwanted essentially so symbolically he was thrown away he was victor did try to abort him basically exactly and he was tossed aside and through those actions he was victor was implicitly the reason for everyone else's death mm-hmm. and so that was where the logic of the infanticidal came in and i just thought that was very interesting because it kind of showed the whole sin of like by destroying innocence which is another huge thing in its own destroying right. innocence isn't a good thing you know <laughs> i sound so smart and then i go it's not a good thing it's not good but it's just, <laughs> you're destroying innocence and that comes back to haunt you mm-hmm. so there's more to go into with infanticidal but yeah, I yeah. won't get on my soapbox too much. So. <laughs> You'll step off and then I'll step off. You guys can look into it. You can contact Summer Reading List Instagram yeah. if you want to ask more yeah. questions about any of this you know, stuff. Yeah, and if you're watching this instead of listening, or even if you're listening, we can include all those links yeah. in our little description box so you can follow those for updates as well. And yeah. you know, you can sound off, let us know what you think. If you hate our interpretations, yeah, you know, let us, us know. Or if we missed a big theme because we yeah. talk too much about one thing and we don't get to everything, um let us know and maybe we'll include it like in a future episode. I mean, I think that's what's fun about literature is like it's a puzzle, but you could have different answers as long right. as you have a backing. Exactly. Like it can be about wisdom versus knowledge, which that's a huge theme and I know mm-hmm. that was one you might have brought up. Um feminism infanticide that one's i feel like not as commonly talked about that might be me on my soapbox and you know um naturalism Naturalism, romanticism romanticism, what's a huge one all of this stuff gothic literature there's just so much to cover impact of nature yeah there's so so much (laughs) but um yeah i guess for now i guess we will kind of wrap up our thoughts there Mm -hmm. since you know we've been going strong in like over an hour now um but yeah i guess so that kind of concludes our thoughts for now Mm -hmm on mary shelley's classic frankenstein if you didn't make sure you read it watch the movies like we said we loved frank and weenie (laughs) would recommend that one young frankenstein was 
good. <laughs> you say hesitating. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it depends who you are. It depends on who you ask. It's not like bad, but it depends who you ask if it's good. Yeah. But I would also, recommend Frank and Weenie. We like Gene Wilder. I like Gene Wilder. I trust him a little bit. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah. I mean, maybe if you want to take a peek at that Scooby Doo movie that made the Frankenstein be green for the rest of eternity, yeah. um, maybe if you want to look up those comics and the Mad Magazine that depicted him as green before mm-hmm. even Scooby Doo, um, you know, let us know if you find anything else yeah. or anything interesting you want to send our way. Yeah, we'll include all those links in our little descriptions. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so uh, next time I think we're going to be discussing 1984. Yes, by we George will Orwell. be discussing 1984. We're hoping to have a guest, a surprise guest. Yeah, so hopefully we get, you know, a third input and we can see. So if you want to join us next time, make sure to read up, do your homework, and, you know. And stay tuned because we will be letting you know when it comes out. So So we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.